Hi, and welcome to Rocket Fuel, your daily update of everything that's happening in the Rocket Pool community. My name is Wack. Today is February 23rd, and today's episode is going to cover Val's new cohesive vision for the new tokenomics. We're going to cover a whole lot of controversy around an ETH research proposal to change the yield for staking rewards. And we're also going to cover a fee switch for RPL and what that might look like. So let's get into the episode now. Ignition sequence So let's get started here with this tweet that Rocketscan put out, and this was letting people know that um, Val's valuable proposal has just dropped, and this is Val's updated cohesive vision for what he thinks the Rocket Pool's tokenomics should be like going into Saturn. Um, and here, um, Rocketscan says, you know, there'll be ETH-only mini pools. The first two mini pools will have four ETH collateral. And after that, there'll be 1.5 ETH collateral. And RPL will earn Ethereum rewards without running mini pools. So let's have a look and see what this is. So Val starts his paper, his, uh, you know, his document, his vision with a table of contents. And the first thing that he wants is the motivation. So let's talk about the motivation. He says, let's start with the desired end state. So the first goal here is that, um, being an ETH node operator with Rocket Pool uh, will be comparable versus competitors such as Lido and um, starting at some minimum level of bonded ETH. And then it depends on what the node operator commission is and what um, borrowed ETH per bonded ETH is as well. And he says we're trying to attract enough R ETH holders to get us to our desired market share. And we're trying to capture all surplus value in RPL as well. So those are some of the points that uh, Val has started with. Then he goes on to like the core concept, right? So the main thing here is having um, better uh, a bonding curve. This is we'll start by determining a good node operator commission percentage using the aggressive alt bond I described. The summary um, of the idea is that we can allow smaller ETH bonds safely to enabling MEV theft penalties across a whole node. Uh, smaller ETH bonds make us dramatically more capital efficient. So he says, remember for context that uh, the um, the proposed Lido CSM return on investment is 1.5 times solo staker rewards. Here he says is um, capital efficiency for Rocket Pool, where we are charging um, the ETH that will go to uh, node operators. So how is it going to work? So here there's a three splits, like with 3%, 4%, and 5%. And there's some graphs here basically showing that um, at 3%, you know your your um, commission will max out at around 1.6 times solo staking if you have infinite um, ETH uh, staked, but like you know approaching 1.6 um, with four um, percent, you'll have um, approaching um, 1.8, and five uh, percent um, you'll be approaching two times um, solo staking. So he Val goes on to say he we said that five percent commission competes favorably with Lido CSM starting at 11 ETH bonded um, uh, and that's two, um, two 4 ETH mini pools and two 1.5 ETH mini pools. He says that high bonds would do um, significantly better. Even 3% was able to beat Lido CSM um, and that was at, you know, 30.5 uh, ETH. This is that said, I explicitly would like to err on the side of growth. I propose using 5% which would then, you know, max out your staking rewards at basically double solo staking if you have a whole lot of ETH staked or like approaching double, which is which is really exciting. 
Okay, then um, he goes on to explain how uh, RPL's value capture will take place. So he says that the the R ETH commission is going to be much higher per bonded ETH with those lower bonds. So node operators can be more competitive as shown above. It says the surplus revenue can then be directed to RPL holders. So it's pro rata based on RPL stake. So here he's got a couple of diagrams that um, show that basically um, right now, 86% of ETH staking rewards go to R ETH holders. And then you also get 14% uh, of the rewards go to uh, the commission as to node operators. However, what Val is saying here is under the new proposal that he's uh, suggesting, 86% will still go to RETH holders. However, 5% will go to node operators and 9% will go to our Rocket Pool stakers, RPL stakers. So here he's explaining the flow diagram of what that looks like. So if there's 100 ETH of revenue coming in, he shows three users, right? Like they who are staking um, and they're getting revenue that's coming in. So the first staker will have four ETH staked and zero RPL. The second staker will have four ETH staked and 100 RPL. And the third person will have um, zero ETH and 100 RPL. So if that, you know, if that staking pool uh, generates 100 ETH revenue, 86 ETH will go to the R ETH holders. However, if you are just um, an ETH staker, you'll be getting 2.5 ETH of rewards or 2.5 units of rewards. If you are ETH and RPL staker, you'll be getting seven units of rewards. And if you are an RPL only staker, you'll be getting 4.5 units of rewards. Now that is, you know, it makes it look really good, right? For RPL holders, it gives it a really nice value proposition. Um, although this example here is even more like explicit in how that works. So he says, now let's illustrate one more thing. Here we've grown our revenue by 10 times by onboarding a bunch of ETH only stakers. Uh, so he says there are 21 users now. So we have 19 users who have four ETH and zero RPL. And then one user who has four ETH and uh, 100 RPL, and one user who has zero ETH and 100 RPL. And now, because we've grown 10 times, the revenue is 1,000. So 860 um, revenue still goes to the R ETH holders. And each ETH staker will be getting 2.5 units of rewards. However, the people who stake ETH and RPL will be getting 47.5 units of rewards. And the people who stake only RPL will be getting 45 units of rewards. So this just shows you that like the, if, if, you know, we, if you know, there's this common example, right? Like why would anyone want to uh, use RPL? They'll just stake with ETH. Well, that is wonderful, right? Because there are people out there like me who will want to stake with RPL. And the more ETH only node operators there are, the more rewards I will be getting. So I think that will bring on a lot of demand for RPL. Um, so then, you know, Val goes on and shares about how that works. And then the next section of the the uh, cohesive vision is like this required support. So he says that there's a couple of other things that will have to go, uh, you know, come together for this to work out properly. And one of those is universal variable income. Is this portion going to node operators and RPL stakers should be settled by vote. Our ETH uh, portion is simply 100 minus these two portions. So it basically says that depending on what the conditions are like in in staking. Uh, the RETH holders will get more or less commission. Sorry, they'll pay more or less commission. Uh, so if we need more RETH to come online, then we'll get RETH holders to pay less commission, which makes RETH a better, more attractive product. But if we have, if we're struggling to get node operators online, then we can increase the uh, commission for RETH holders. And, uh, you know, that will entice node operators to come online because they'll get even more outsized rewards. Next, we have mega pools. So this is actually like a really uh, amazing development because uh, as 
as you know, you get those really small 1.5 ETH validators online, the cost of gas uh, to get that online, you know, becomes significant as a percentage of your investment. So having mega pools will actually radically decrease the gas costs of spinning up a validator, which will then um, make it um, easy, uh, like much more profitable to to use the sublinear um, bonding and then forced exits as well, which this will be critical to protect against loss scenarios associated with MEV theft and abandonment. And then there's an example of what that will look like. And then Val says, you know, there's, then you can go into further depths, right, of like really analyzing all this information. And there's tier one, tier two, tier three. But he says only go into those, you know, and like dig into those if you kind of understand what's happening in the main document here. So I'm not going to cover those. I'm going to leave that for you, you all to read or to read about in mine and Jasper's um, newsletter that is starting hopefully next week. So that's really exciting. <laughs> okay, next we've got something that's really controversial. Actually, one of the most uh, controversial things I've heard come out of the Ethereum like research space recently, and this is Casper um, here wrote a, a paper called "Endgame Staking Economics: A Case for Targeting." So he says this post explores the status quo of staking economics, its drawbacks as we see them, and what the end game of staking economics could look like. Read about a separate proposal for an immediate insurance policy update in the lecture here so then there's like um tldr let's just have a look at the tldr and have a quick look at the article so he says today 30 million or one quarter of all eth is staked and with the trend of increasing staking showing no signs of stopping we argue that most of the new stake will be driven by lsts and i guess lrts as well uh, which gain in moneyness with adoption and time and a world in which most eth is staked through lsts has several implications that we consider negative LSTs have winner-takes-most dynamics due to network effects of liquidity, economies of scale, increased competitive pressures for solo staking viability, further uh, LST replacing ETH as the de facto money of the network, apart from layer 1 transaction fees, leads to Ethereum users being exposed to counterparty risk inherited by the LST by default. For true economic scalability, the money of Ethereum should be maximally trustless. Today, the issuance yield does not ensure a limit around the amount that can be staked profitably. LSTs have significantly changed the cost structuring of staking, making it possible that most ETH will be staked eventually. We argue that endgame staking economics um, should include an issuance policy that targets a range of staking ratios instead, around a quarter of all ETH. The intention is to be secure enough but avoid overpaying for security and thereby enabling said negative externalities. He says, finally, we highlight some open research questions that need answering to make targeting policy feasible. So this was an extremely controversial uh, article that came out today with people arguing for and against. And like the lines were drawn in strange ways. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, so much so that, you know, um, this morning on today's episode of the Daily Gue, Anthony Sassano said that he would veto this. And he, what he meant to say was that this is something that in this current form and like, you know, targeting an, the Petra release, it's something that he would actively like argue against, thinking that we would need a lot more time and a lot more um, understanding of what the impact of this will have on ETH's, uh, Ethereum's monetary policy. Uh, and this change would be too big a change to rush in, you know, seven months or, or whatever it will take, you know, before. Um, Petra is out. So you can see here that, you know, they're saying the stake is up only into the right. Uh, and basically there's, uh, you know, the staking reward and then you add MEV on top and that gives you kind of like an extra reward. So they're kind of talking about the issuance yield and how all that's looking. 
and then they you know talk about uh, supply side issues and how um, you you can kind of change those rewards to um, have different kind of users coming online. And the idea is that basically you would want um, solo stakers to to stake on the network and disincentivize liquid staking tokens from gaining more of a market share. And of course, it's really hard to identify solo stakers, right? Because of civil resistance issues, like you can't tell who is a solo. Like node, node operators can hide, you know, and make it look like they're solo validators when they might not be solo validators. All they might be, um, you know, single entities. Um, so these are the kind of things that, um, you know, this paper is kind of looking to address. And the moneyness, of course, you know, this is something that Jasper, you know, has talked about in his research papers about making our ETH the money of of ethereum right and because you know he wants it to grow and like be a really good money well these guys are saying that uh, you know the ethereum core researchers are saying that uh, maybe it's the case that uh, eth should be the money and not uh, an lst like our eth so like you can go and read the whole um argument and like you know the whole paper it's quite long so i'm not going to read it all but basically they even introduced this idea of like um, negative issuance um and how that might look and basically um um, other things like that so yeah um this is like i said this is quite controversial so let me actually go and show you this tweet thread this is a tweet thread that casper kind of wrote about in publishing the the ideas he says wrote down some thoughts um exploring the status quo of staking economics its drawbacks as we see them and then what the end game of staking economics could look like and what we should do in the short term until the end game so he says then kind of just goes over some of the points that we already covered and um, shows some of the graphs and kind of explains the graphs as well. So like I said, you can dig into these ideas more um, there. But the thing that I want to talk about is here, Jasper uh, wrote a response saying, great writing, a few questions. He says, I've seen this one quarter mark thrown around a few times, but is there any technical reasoning for that to be the ideal staking ratio? How do we know it's not 50% and that MEB uh, makes it such that 67% isn't? It is also near the end you write about how real yield is better than nominal yield so still solo stakers will still be attracted to stake versus the world where nominal yield is higher but real yield is lower jasper says i'm not sure this holds true in very many cases often nominal yield is more important to the end user so nominal yield being that you know you are getting some tokens and real yield meaning how does that uh, factor in with like the value of the tokens overall so like for example if you are getting one percent nominal yield then you know 100 eth staked you're getting one eth of reward every year but if eth is deflating by 10 percent and you're getting one extra eth then your real yield is 11 percent you know including the burn and the reward that you're getting so um jasper was kind of like asking a question question about that saying nominal yield is often more important to the user and then he says further the idea of negative curve strongly favors centralization at the margins, any amount of edge will force out solo stakers. For example, large enterprises willing to gamble on MEV payouts will take negative base rate if it becomes um, positive EV, expected value, um, from the rare lottery block. The lower the nominal rate becomes, the less attractive solo staking is, and the greater the threat of centralization from small differences. So the idea is here that like, if there's a negative commission, and if you're losing 2% of your ETH, every year that you're staking um but you know then um uh, you know staking company like i don't know make one up like um lie don't for example <laughs> um if they if they um have if they're getting these mev blocks that you know even though they're staking rewards like minus two percent 
but they're making three or four percent because they're getting the majority of the luxury blocks then for them it's still profitable to keep going however for home stakers jasper's arguing that um for them it's not it's not valuable anymore right they don't want to leave they don't want to lose two percent of their ETH every year for example i'm just pulling numbers um so casper here then replies saying those are great questions regarding the one quarter target the specific target range is definitely an open question still one useful way to think of this question can be considered the utility of different staking levels the sketch from our post is just one example of course and then he says essentially there's a trade-off between costs of attacks and externalities of staking levels there's no objectively optimal answer but we can reason about it though some thoughts by vitalik and justin on this so here, Jack is a solo staker. He says, as a solo staker, I'm very concerned about lowering distribution. This seems like it would make staking less profitable for everyone, advantaging large operations and having increasing centralization effects. And Casper um, says, I would love to try to convince you otherwise. Currently, 30 million ETH staked, earning 3% issuance yield and 4% including MEV. Historically, the supply curve willing to stake has continually been pushed down increasing short-term equilibrium um, level of staking as illustrated here and then he goes on to say uh, but this uh, won't be the end of it because lsts continue to benefit from network effects and economies of scale this makes more people willing to scale via lsts in other words the long-term equilibrium of staking is very much likely further out 60 million 80 million maybe less maybe more and what he says what i'm trying to say is that current staking yields won't be as high in the future even if we change nothing as a side note, current curve was chosen many months ago when LSTs restaking one thing. Um, worry was more that not enough people would stake to get Beacon Chain launched. So he says, which um, so which long-term um, EQ should you um, prefer as a solo staker given two different issuance curves? Let's compare, and then he kind of gets into the details of what the current curve looks like and what the new issuance curve would look like and how that would all work out. And... Um, and he says that uh, Jack says, I'm willing to bet good money that the proportion of home stakers would be far higher with 100 million ETH staked than with 50 million ETH staked. Why wouldn't it? So that's a whole different discussion. But anyway, there's some more points that are coming up here. Uh, here, Vasily, who is, you know, um, co-founder of Lido, he says there are two possible points of contention here. The, the low ETH, um, low percentage of ETH staked is preferable to high percentage of ETH staked in general, and the low percentage of ETH staked with the subpar validator set is preferable to a high percentage of ETH staked with an okay validator set. Um, and then he says, I don't think either point is ironclad, to be honest. And then um, Jasper says, the day has finally come where me and Vasily agree. Many discussions need to be had about the ideal state of proof of stake, and we can't make decisions before that. There's also a belief that home stakers are more sensitive to real yields over nominal yields. I disagree. And then Nixo kind of like um, argued back against Jasper, saying that number two, you know, Vasily's point is a false dichotomy. And Jasper kind of explains why, you know, you might be able to argue that it is, but he doesn't think it is. Um, we also got, um, you know, a strong reaction from Eric Connor, who you might know from, you know, um, being an OG Ethereum, but also being on Anthony Sisano's show, you know, sometimes. And he says, nope, in my opinion, the Ethereum community should be done touching the issuance curve forever. Making it hardened is more important than trying to perfect it forever. Also, I fail to see how this won't just centralize stake more. And he says the TLDR is a weak issuance curve to target a percentage of total staked. After that point, issuance goes negative. Concern is large amount of ETH staked mostly going to LSTs. But I just don't see how negative helps. LSTs can survive negative issuance longer than solo stakers. Finally, giving ETH issuance policy Lindy effect post proof of stake is extremely important to his perception as moneyness and 
um, investability. So this is a point that Eric Connor is kind of making that um, too many Bitcoiners, for example, say, uh, you know, they dismiss ETH as money by saying that this is, um, it's like, you know, we change the monetary policy on the whim and we, we can change it whenever we want. So it's not hard money. It, it's like soft money because of that. It's not as strong money as Bitcoin is. Uh, so Eric's kind of like arguing against that. But Nixo here um, replied as well, like he's saying, you know, are you okay with a scenario where 99% of ETH is staked and everybody who needs ETH has to use a derivative? Eric says they're inherent risk, risk to staking. 0.01% yield doesn't mean everyone is eventually going to stake their ETH. Equilibrium is very... Um, like is likely very close in my humble opinion somewhere around two percent that is like a staking reward and that's why people will stop staking so nixo says respectfully there's no evidence for that it's entirely a guess on your part there's abundant evidence that demand for stake is continuing at a fairly flat rate um you also didn't answer my question so um eric says there's also no evidence that it will be stake all be staked you're making the same type of assumption the reality is no one knows where equilibrium is yet this feels rushed um also if this is a huge concern we should be uh, pursuing enshrined lsts not tweaking the issuance curve and um casper says gotta start somewhere and produce research and make proposals electra is one about one year out which is interesting coming from you know a core ethereum um team member kind of person that researcher not a dev but still electra is still about one year out so there's plenty of time to discuss and do more research it's not decision time now i'm just excited and happy that we're finally talking about this clearly fundamental topic so um there was a whole lot of back and forth and you know here nick so shared this tweet as well saying uh, this person's uh, francesco saying i find it surprising that people seem to be okay with future where eth is replaced by lsts possibly one possibly custodial what good is decentralization of staking if there's no trustless asset in my humble opinion the staking economics debate should focus on this point first he goes on to say is there a way to prevent it other than reducing issuance which does not mean targeting a negative issuance he says if so i would love to hear it if not um i'd love to hear why it should be okay with it um there are many aspects to this topic but we certainly can't ignore this one and Anthony Sano says, I don't think people are okay with this. They seem to think that the current proposal to fix this is not sufficient and actually does the opposite of what it claims, as in it causes more centralization of stake to happen um, into LSTs, just a smaller percentage of you know the overall ETH supply. So that discussion then carried on as well. So um this, like I said, is quite a you know, is getting people quite passionate. Passionate. Um one of the comments that I saw in Discord was you know in the rocket pool discord was someone was saying you know rocket pool is finally getting to a point where you know we'll be able to scale up to 22 um, percent of stake but just as that's happening you know with petra being launched and the new tokenomics that will come in with that at the same time then um ethereum researchers will nerf rocket pool <laughs> and all uh, and all you know staking um services um so much so that you know it would act potentially as a limit on on growth now um i'll give my opinion is that you know, I'm of course not a researcher, so I don't understand all the intricacies of the points be, being made here by Casper and others. But uh, I think that this isn't going to go into Petra. It might go into the update after Petra. I think that's Osaka, um, because I think that, you know, just look at something like EIP 1559, right? That was a change to the monetary policy. It was burning ETH. It was setting a fee market um, the way that it did, the gas market. And what ended up happening was it took two years of research and implementation before we got it on chain. This change will actually be bigger, I think. Um, you know, one of the biggest changes that will happen to Ethereum. And um, I don't think people are going to be happy with it happening in the way that it is. If the discussion starts, that's fine. I don't think this is going to make it into Petra. I think we'll see what happens after that. 
Okay, then Michael here kind of had a counterpoint. He's saying, would you support the addition of a rare duty on the beacon chain with a large negative payout around 2 to 4 ETH? Um, it would function economically as the opposite of block proposal, penalizing pools most often and solo stakers rarely. And people are like, no. So people are like kind of trying to think of other ways that, you know, you can like uh, target centralized forces. The idea here, of course, you know, being like someone like Lido with 33% of the share would get 33% of these blocks, which would impact their income, whereas solo stakers would get these blocks so rarely because they are so small, such a small percentage. The problem is if Bob down the street is staking, staking and he's got 32 ETH and you hit him with a 4 ETH penalty, like Bob's going to get hurt quite a lot. So this, the impact this would have would be setting up some kind of, you know, smoothing pool type type situation. So that would have its own centralizing issues. But people are trying to think about this now and it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. Okay, next we had some like groundbreaking news coming out of Uniswap today. So Uniswap, there was a new governance proposal in a, a governance proposal in the Uniswap DAO saying uh, the proposal has a, the lead of the proposal EEC uh, six three seven just proposed posted a proposal to upgrade the Uniswap protocol's governance system. Specifically, this upgrade will reward Uni holders and who have staked and delegated their tokens. So what they're saying here is that if you stake and delegate your uni tokens, you will be eligible to a share of the fees made by the Uniswap protocol. Basically, this is the fabled fee switch argument that, you know, people have been making for a while that pointless governance tokens aren't getting any income from the protocols that they are the governance tokens of. And this is something that, you know, we sh that they should happen. Of course, that kind of brings up the argument is, are there securities? Are there not securities? These, these vehicles of revenue sharing, um, like what's the what's the legal aspects of this but anyway um people here said that you know this is like the biggest week in uniswap governance ever um and this is um erin coin who posted the thing saying i just proposed a large-scale update to the system and basically the markets absolutely love this so i don't know if you can see my screen but basically uni for the last i want to say many weeks many months has kind of been trading in this three dollar to kind of $8 range somewhere around there basically kind of somewhere in the middle around $5 pretty much for the last I want to say um, two years yeah two years pretty much um, and then today it kind of smashed that range and totally broke out of it with a giant candle that went all the way from I want to say like $7 all the way up to $12 so at one point you know it was up nearly 100% um, and on the day so far, like right now, it's up 50%. So um, the point that I want to make about this is um, the RPL token, of course, is, um, let's have a look over here, right? So people in the community were talking about it and um, L30 here was saying, what's a fee switch? And basically the idea is that, you know, token holders get protocol revenue. I said, it's sharing profits with token holders and um, L30 says, so if Rocket Pool, if RPL had a fee switch, our RETH commission would go to whoever holds RPL. And then basically the argument being is that this is, this is what will happen with, um, I said, like if I said, if Uniswap here sets off a wave of turning on the fee switch, you'd be crazy not to buy the governance tokens and sell them into a pump. Um, and then the idea was that with, with, Rocket Pool with the new tokenomics, like we were just talking, there'll be a separate vault potentially just for putting in your RPL and getting ETH rewards, which of course is the definition of a fee switch, right? So, um, you know, because you're not staking, you're not doing anything, you're just depositing your 
ETH and you're getting a share of the rewards that are coming in. Sorry, you're depositing your RPL and you're getting a share of the rewards that are coming in. So I said, you know, you stake RPL, you get ETH rewards from ETH only node operators, which is what we spent in the first chunk of the episode talking about today. And then basically this, people were just like getting really excited about this. I said, you know, the fee switch might become a legit meta narrative if this Uniswap thing works out and uh, like a whole bunch of, um, you know, DeFi protocols might be jumping on the on the bandwagon here to try to turn on the fee switch of their own if they're you know feeling brave that now uniswap might lead the way of course this is just a proposal but with with rocket pool we already have a kind of fee switch right like where uh, the rpl token gives you access to higher eth rewards but it's just going to become even more explicit with with the potentially become more explicit with the future token upgrades so that is i think something that you might be um you might be seeing coming forward and see this is the kind of thing i mean like l30 here who's quite frequently in in trading right he still doesn't know about you know the tokenomics upgrades he says wait i can only stake rpl and earn eth commissions question mark question mark question mark question mark and i said in the new tokenomics that's one of the suggestions so you know we're trying to uh, get people more aware of what's going on here and trying to get them to learn about all the all the changes that are happening so it's going to be a really exciting time for rocket pool <laughs> so yesterday in in um in um in the episode i covered log Reese's, um analysis of where uh, rocket pool stands and the protocol and the rpl token and you know i was mildly critical of of his post and kind of like um but i think i was too polite in my responses well val here wasn't didn't hold back so um, you know he kind of quote tweeted um sub subtweeted whatever the equivalent of is in discord um you know Lugris's uh reddit post and he said you know a rocket pool has failed to engage with the surrounding ecosystem as much as pe as peers that came later than them and now have more and now they have now a more market share and val says there's only one protocol with a higher share and calling lido fully permissioned a peer is just off base then Logri said, despite me writing about how transformative Eigenlayer would be for literally years. So he was saying that, you know, Lock Rocket Pool should have been working on this a lot sooner. And then uh, Val says, the dude talks about it like it's already happened. It hasn't. It might or it might not be a big market or a different competitor might take the market. Regardless, it's a huge risk to tie in hard before it's proven, let alone before it's deployed. Logri says, you know, paid far too much for their uh, ODA members who should have been contractually obliged to invest that in Rocket Pool. And then um, he's, Val says that's a ODAO, you know, complaint, which we've, we've already addressed and is being addressed actively. And then Logri said forcing every node operator to uh, have to figure out every AVS basically means you can expect the average Rocket Pool node operator to have subpar yield compared to the more centralized ones. And then Val says this is doubly confused. First, Rocket Pool node operators are not currently eligible at all. Second, AVSs get paid for being run. Of course, a node operator needs to be able to run it if they want the yield. The only out is centralizing the operation, like having some central party pretend to be the various node operators and sign on their behalf. I don't think this is the um, not being a purist levels of centralization here. If you want protocol level, give someone uh, that much might just be Lido. It's more efficient. Um, there's some valid bits in there too, like ignoring memes, like we should market more. Um, we do act as purists sometimes. Um, some vision, version of that is written into the charters of the PDAO. It says, I believe this is sometimes limiting, but also huge brand strength. And then it, that rocket pool is generally slow. Um, Val agrees that this is the most valid point. We have been too slow a lot of the times. And it says we're too slow with liquidity incentives. And it says maybe that's true, but curve probably wasn't the right choice. 
and um, we probably did overpay the old out for a long time. So, you know, Val did agree with some of the point, points that Greece was making, but also like very strongly um, dismissive of other points that were brought up there. So I thought that was a nice um, post by Val. Okay, next we have the new um, DeFi um, guide, you know, that um, Regex Buster is making now to mistake with Rocket Pool. And here we get that uh, there's some really nice rewards coming through. And um, we've got the we've got information here about what you can get and where you can get it. So, for example, you know, there's rewards going all the way up to um, up to like you know hundreds of Arbor Day that you can get on Uniswap on Arbitrum, and you know some of the rewards of that are pretty nice. So, if you are interested in uh, that's you know thirteen point four percent that you can get there, and also there's you know some uh, on base where you can get uh, on balance up to twenty one percent now. Um, and that's you know what i was talking about the other day and uh, there's a whole bunch of other rewards so if you want to kind of dig down deeper into that then definitely check out this tweet from stake rocket pool and um find out what's going on there because you can um use your RETH in some really cool ways okay here we got news of fizz putting a little pop in the pings channel this is thanks to needler op from reddit um so i should have had this open actually beforehand but let's go have a look at the pop this is a free pop that you can collect and this is as a way of celebrating um, that our ETH finance welcomes Ether's return to 3000. And it's like a welcome home back to 3000. So there's a plot for that. This is holders of this distinguished token were celebrating on our ETH finance around the time of Ether's return to a value of 3000 US dollars after nearly two year hiatus on Tuesday, uh, February 20th, uh, between um, around 145 GMT. So um, this was a nice little pop that Fizz sent out and 356 people have collected this pop. And like I said, it was a free pop to collect. So that was a really nice one from Fizz. Okay, next we have a client update. This client update today is from um, Prism and they have the official release for support for um, Deneb and Cancun, you know, um, Dencun, uh, the, the consensus side is called Deneb. So they're saying that this, of course, is a mandatory upgrade and all users must upgrade to this version 5 um, before um, the March 13th, which is when the hard fork happens. And we are going to end today's episode with um, this whole market getting kind of out of hand. So Maverick shared this tweet in trading from Board Genius, and he says, WTF, you can now restake your restaked ETH. This is not a drill. So there's this new protocol called Zerkit. I think that's how you pronounce it. And what they are doing is they are letting you restake your restake take tokens. And basically they are adding layer upon layer upon layer of risk here. And the consequence of this will be that as you add more and more layers of risk, you just need a small, um, a very small um, problem on one of the higher higher levels. And you can have a liquidation cascade all the way down. So this is really adding risk that should not be there but sadly it looks like uh people don't care and they're pushing that out so yeah it's going to be a fun fun year for ethereum for all these different ways but hey like rocket pool is on the vanguard and we're doing some really cool stuff so let's just keep doing that and um i think everything's going to be good but anyway on that note thank you all for watching this thing and being part of the rocket fuel community i hope you all have lovely weekends and i will see you on monday bye